You're listening to What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk to Alyssa Scheimel, whose new book, R.I.P. Eliza Hart, comes out on November the 28th. And I had a lovely conversation with Alyssa, talking about the books that she really enjoyed growing up, and the insight that she got when for a time she was able to work in the publishing industry and sort of see a little bit of behind the scenes. So listen in. So Alyssa, what book hooked you? Well, I've given this a lot of thought, and honestly, the book that hooked me first was Christie's Great Idea, the very first book in the Babysitter's Club series. Um, I actually wrote my college admissions essay about the Babysitter's Club. Um, the first line of my college admissions essay was, I owe everything I am to the Babysitter's Club. Because those were the books that turned me into a reader. They were the first books I ever loved. Um, you know, I started reading them, I think, when I was in first or second grade. Um, they were, my big sister had them, and I just started taking them off her shelf and started reading them. And I just kind of fell in love with them, and it opened the floodgates for me to love reading. It was the first time that I was like, oh, I get what everybody's talking about, why my parents are always saying I'll love to read, so, you know, I should read more. It was, I, I got it. I finally understood what the big deal was about reading, reading those books and how much fun it was. I mean, not finally. I was six or seven years old. Um, and from then on, I just would read everything and anything. But I kept going back to the Babysitter's Club. It even got to a point um, as I got older and my mom thought I should be reading more challenging books. She would like tell me I wasn't allowed to read them and I would sneak them. And like when nobody was looking, I would still keep reading them because I loved them so. So that's probably the first book that ever really, truly hooked me because they're the books that turned me into a reader. And I think that in turn is obviously what turned me into a writer. Great. And so do you think when you first were reading those books, part of the allure was that they were about these older girls and you were just this young kid. So you were kind of inspired of what your life could be like when you would reach that age? Oh, absolutely. Like, I think also, I mean, my sister and I, as we got older, we were the kids who babysat a lot in the neighborhood, and I think we both at certain points in our life tried to start babysitting clubs with our friends that did not quite catch on. So I, I think it was, you know, that they were, they were such cool girls. They were babysitters just like I was. They lived in Connecticut. I lived in, you know, in New York, so it didn't seem like such a distant leap from my reality. Sure. Um, and, and I think one of part of the brilliance of those books was the different characters, each of those girls, there was something that you could identify with, like no matter what kind of girl you were, at least for me, there were things um, that, I, that were recognizable in some of the characters, and some of it was very aspirational, like Claudia and Stacy were the cool girls, and I didn't necessarily relate to them too closely, but Marianne I related to, um, Dawn I related to, because her parents were divorced and she was from California, which I was too. So I think part of what made those books so work so wonderfully for so many different readers at the time was that they were just there was something in them for everyone because it was easy to identify with one of those girls. And so by making that sort of your topic of your college missions essay, does that did that work out for you as far as the getting into college <laughs> well, goes? I got to go to college, so I guess I got into school, so it worked out in that much. But it was funny because I remember. You know, I had this sense that my college admissions essay was supposed to be very serious and very, you know, beautifully written. And, you know, I would read other people's essays and they were, you know, about much more serious topics about illness and divorce and, you know, or, you know, the moment that their life had changed when they 
won a race or lost a race. Or something. And I, my book was about, my essay was about these books that I had loved as a kid. Um, and so I, and I remember like I, it was the first essay I wrote thinking, and I remember I wrote it thinking, well, this is just a practice. I'll end up coming up with something better for my real essay, what I really hand in. But th that was the truest thing that I could say about myself was that I was a reader. I mean, and, and that was what I was going to school for. I was going to school, you know, to study um, English and also history and, you know, both topics obviously deeply steeped in reading. So it was the most honest thing that I could say about the kind of person I was, was that, you know, I was a reader. That was who I was. And, and I wanted to be a writer, but I would, and I still, I would always say that I'm a reader first. Like if I had to give up either reading or writing, there's just no contest. I, I could give up writing before I could give up reading. So as a reader uh, in high school, what were, what books were really kind of important for you at that time? Oh, that's such a good question. I, well, I think in school, I was very lucky to go to we read such wonderful, I mean, like so many, you know, schools, we read such great books. And I think the books that I loved most in my classes were um, Weathering Heights and Jane Eyre. Um, and we read The Great Gatsby. We, we read 100 Years of Solitude. Like I, I, I took, I had such great teachers in high school. I was so lucky. And independently, I, I always had these rules for myself that I couldn't be reading too many books at once because I, want, I, didn't, I wanted to be able to focus on books. So I would actually cram as many books as I could into my vacations when I was off school because when I was in school, I didn't want to read like outside of school books. So on my vacations, I often ended up reading, especially my senior year of high school, I got into memoirs. Um, I loved, that was right, Prozac Nation had come out pretty recently, um, Wasted had just come out, which is a book about um, anorexia and bulimia, and I just, I gobbled those books up. I think, you know, it's funny, and I look back too, I, one of my very favorite teachers, a wonderful woman named Miss Stewart, who still teaches at my high school, I did, took a class with her called The Short Story, and I loved doing sh um, short stories. And we read Hemingway in her class, and it was the first time I'd ever read Ernest Hemingway, and we read um, Big Two-Hearted River, and I hated it. I just thought it was so boring, and just, and I remember being, you know, so sure of my own intelligence, like speaking up in class about how it was just fishing lessons, and why would I, should I care about this, and now Ernest Hemingway is like my very favorite writer. So it was fun, it, that was one of the few things that I had, I didn't love in high school that I came to love later, but I think... Looking back, all the books I loved in high school, I still love now. I still go back and reread all the same books. And I'm just, I'm fortunate because there, there were so, I had such good teachers who introduced me to such good books. Um, my, one of my favorite teachers, Miss Eisenberg, encouraged me to, after we read The Great Gatsby, she encouraged me to read more Fitzgerald. And I picked up Tender as the Night and The Beautiful and the Damned. I took a wonderful Latin American literature class and we did Kiss of the Spider Woman and Marquez and Borgia. And we just, like, I, I loved everything. Like, I couldn't even tell you what my very favorite was because I just, I read, and I'm sure so many of your, um, the people you interview talk, talk like this. I just, anything that was put in front of me, I would read happily. I can't remember a book that I read in high school that I didn't love, with the exception of that Ernest Hemingway story, which I now regret because I love him so much now. That's great. And so at the same time that you're reading all these books, uh, what were you trying to experiment as far as your writing goes around that time um i was i mean i was always writing i was that kid who always had a notebook full of short stories you know whenever we had a class where we got to do a creative essay i was always so excited my senior project in 
my senior year of high school, we got to be one class short for our spring semester, and we got to create our own senior project. And mine was writing a sequel to the Pat Conroy novel, Beach Music. So I wrote a sequel called Looking for Me from the perspective, I don't know if you're familiar with Beach Music, but the story um, features a young girl who's the daughter of the main character. So I wrote a story from her perspective many years later when she was a freshman in college. And so it was, it was the longest thing that I'd ever re written at the time. It was about... 50 or 60 pages, it was a novella, which for me, you know, as a 17-year-old, seems so incredibly long. And I loved that I was, that got to be my senior project. I loved that I got to do that as a school assignment and have that be um, my homework. And, and that, it was, and it, it wasn't, it's funny because it's, that book is not similar to what I'm writing now, but I think I learned a lot of lessons from that. I remember there was my the note that I think got most um, from my teacher, which is still such a valuable note for every writer, is the show don't tell note. Because I didn't have a lot of patience then as a writer. I wanted to write quickly. So it took me a long time to kind of learn, okay, I can slow down. I can break open the scene. I don't have to just say this is what happened. Um, so that, and that was so much fun to write. And because I turned that character into just a, you know, 18-year-old girl living in New York going to Barnard, which is where I ended up going. So I made her a lot like me. And so then you move on to college, you're, you're studying English and history, so you're obviously probably reading a lot. So at that same time when you're in college, are you still able to sort of keep up your, your writing habits? I was. I mean, I was very lucky in that I took a lot of writing classes in college. I wasn't, I wasn't an English major. I majored in American studies, but everyone thought I was an English major because I was always in the English department hanging out with the English professors. So um and I took, um, there were a couple of writing classes that you weren't supposed to take if you were an English major, but I took them anyway. Um, and so I was always writing, and I, I'm, again, was just so lucky to have incredible teachers. There were two teachers in particular that I had in college who were the first, they, not only were they professors, but they were both published best-selling authors and award-winning authors, and um, they were the first real writers that I knew, and they I was so fortunate because they treated me like I was going to be a writer, like it was inevitable. They treated it, me as though I had, there was no reason to think that I wouldn't someday be a writer just like they were. Um, and I think that was the first time that I started to feel myself like a real writer because you have these people who treat you almost like a peer, um, even though they're grading you. So I guess um, you can't be entirely like a peer. So I was always writing. I mean, I was never, I, it was what I did in my free, it still is something that I do in my free time. Um, and it was what I did in my free time at school. Um, it, it's how I spent my evenings and weekends. I was not particularly, I, I, was, I wasn't the most social student. I was much more often to be found in my room writing a story. You're doing, you're spending too much time doing this. Was your ultimate goal to then always to be a writer or was there some sort of safety net or plan B kind of career right. or, that you had for yourself? I mean, I think a little of both. I always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be a published writer from the time that I understood that that was something that could be a job as a kid. I think that was something that I always wanted. But I also was realistic and practical about the difficulties of pursuing that as a career. And I also very much, I mean, I knew that I wanted my career to do with books. I wanted it to be about books and to be about writing. So for many years before I was writing, um, publishing myself, I worked in book publishing. I worked for a literary agency immediately out of college. And then um, I worked for seven years at Random House Children's Books in the marketing department. And I actually loved my job. I would have been 
happy to keep that job for the rest of my life. I really loved working on other people's books. I loved being in the marketing side of things because by the time I was working on a book, it was written, it was finished. So I got to be part of the different side of it, the side of it that wasn't writing or editing. I got to be, and I learned so much more about the business by doing that. So I always feel very privileged that I did that for so long. Um, it just got to a point, I, my first few books were published while I was still working at Random House, and it just got to a point where it was, and there's so, there are plenty of people who are able to do both. I just, I struggled with trying to do both just in terms of my schedule. So I, I had to make a choice, and I kind of always thought, well, surely I'll just do this for a year or two full-time, and then I'll go back to marketing, because I loved it. I loved my job. I loved my colleagues. I loved the collaborative nature of what we did. Um, but I kind of like, I got, once you, I got hooked on doing this full time, I really love it. And so when you're doing that writing, uh, as you're working at the same time, uh, how did you kind of decide what genre that you fit in? Uh, like, what was it about? Was it automatically you were, were you writing YA stories or did you just kind of mm -hmm. find yourself that that's where you were ended up being most comfortable in? Um, I think what actually happened is when I started working at Random House Children's Books, I started reading a lot of the YA books that we published there. And it was, you know, because I think the the world of YA had changed so much since I was a teenager, even though it hadn't been that long. I started working there when I was in my early 20s. But um, it just felt like a much different, there were so many more books available. There were so there was so much more to choose from than when I had been a kid and there was like the one shelf of sort of the teen romance novels. And I fell in love with the genre as a reader first because I, at marketing those books, I got to read them. The very first, at, at a public, the way it worked at Random House and at most publishing houses is you have list launch and the editors present um, what books they're going to be for the upcoming season. My very first list launch was for spring um, 2006, I think. And um, one of the first books that I ever read at once I started working at Random House was in manuscript form, like it wasn't available to the general public yet, was The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. And I remember just being like, whoa, I didn't know that this existed. I had never, I didn't know that was the kind of, you know, what growing up what I had associated with as teen novels were not The Book Thief. And I was suddenly, I fell in love with it. And I just, I, I still am so grateful to that book because it like opened me up and all of a sudden I was reading YA vociferously and I just loved it so much. Um, and I got to work on it, which, you know, I got to help with the marketing campaign for that book, which was just such a thrill because I loved it so much. So, um, so that's when I started writing YA was first, I mean, it's like everything else I would say in my writing life is I read things and I fall in love with them as a reader. And that's when I start wanting to write them. And so when you're, then writing your own things and kind of taking them to the point where you're trying to get representation, get published, was that uh, an easy process because you were sort of kind of plugged in, you kind of knew the industry, or did you have any kind of missteps or struggles in, in that journey? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it was easy because I was in the industry. I think I had the, you know, wonderful advantage of, having friends of friends of friends who could connect me to agents, which was really such a um, stroke of luck. Although I will say the agent I ended up signing with first was somebody I just um, cold called. Like I sent her an email. I found her email online and just emailed her out of the blue. So it wasn't somebody I met through a connection. So I was like plucked out of the slush pile, which is pretty cool. No, but I, do, I feel incredibly privileged that I work in publishing for such a long time because I think it, 
made me, I think it gave me an advantage that I understood the industry before I was published. I, I went into it with very reasonable expectations, and and I was very. I've always been a very practical person, so I. I liked be, my first few books were published at Random House when I was still working there. So I got to see the behind the scenes of my own books, which was kind of cool. I loved seeing what my numbers were. I liked seeing what the marketing publicity plans were, um, even though they weren't, you know, my numbers weren't great because they were my first couple books. So the first book uh, was The Beautiful Between. Uh, and for that first book, as that kind of debut author, did it go as expected? Was there, uh, you know, was it sort of this dream come true that you were this little girl that was reading all the time, writing all the time, and now you were finally a published author? Absolutely. I mean, I think I remember the day that I got the offer on that book. I was actually in Napa, California. I was getting married that fall, and my husband and I were in California, or my then fiance and I were in California for like, you know, to meet with our photographer and pick out our flowers and all that stuff. So it was already just this magical weekend of fun. And I checked my email and there was an offer and it was just, you know, um, the best day. It was such a wonderful day. And I remember calling my best friend who worked at Random House at the time and telling her and asking her what she thought. And she was so excited. Um, so it was wonderful and it was thrilling. And like I said, I loved being at Random House when this book was getting published because I got to see it every step of the way. Um, and it was a thrill. But I mean, I also, like, I, I, since I worked in publishing, I had very realistic expectations. I didn't think that I was going to be, you know, on the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, I, I think I just thought, oh, this is going to be my hobby. I did, at that time, I don't think I thought of it as a career because I loved my job so much. It didn't occur to me that I was going to be a bookier author, which I then became a bookier author. I really didn't think I was going to be that. I thought this would just be, you know, a cool side gig. Um, but it just—it's there's something addictive about it once you start doing it. You've co-authored two, and you're about to publish your six. So, uh, you've pretty much—I'm going to say—and you can correct me—you know—got ended up with the life you were hoping for as as. Uh, in your youth. Is that, would I be right in saying that? It's so nice to hear it said like that. Yes. I think that's, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, some days I do kind of stop and I can't quite believe that I'm a professional writer and this is what my job is. Cause that is something that I wanted so much as a kid. And, um, and I know it's, it's, it's such a wonderful privilege to have this be my job. And so, in November, November 28th, you have your sixth uh, book that you've written on your own coming out called uh, R.I.P. Eliza Hart. Uh, so yes. before we kind of get into it, can you give me sort of a synopsis of what the book's about? R.I.P. Eliza Hart is the story of two girls, Eliza Hart and Ellie Sokoloff. The narrative kind of goes back and forth between their voices. And they go to a school together in Big Sur called the Vantana Ranch School. It's a boarding school. And they actually used to, they went to first and second grade together in kindergarten together and were very good friends when they were young. But Ellie moved away when her parents got divorced um, after second grade and they grew apart the way friends do when they're only seven years old. When Ellie got moved back to California to go to the sporting school, she thought that she and Eliza would be friends. But when they started going to school together, Eliza hated her and actually spread rumors that she that Ellie was a pathological liar, that Ellie was obsessed with her, that Ellie had only come to the school to be near her. 
And Ellie never understood why Eliza disliked her so much. And now Eliza is unfortunately gone. And Ellie's determined to find out what happened to her former best friend. And the truth is, everyone else kind of hates Ellie and in some ways wonders if maybe she had something to do with Eliza's death because she's the only person on campus who had any reason to dislike Eliza as far as they're all concerned. So it's just kind of the mystery that unfolds. And so what was that initial idea that started you uh, thinking about and eventually writing this book? Um, This book kind of came in bits and pieces, but there were four pieces I knew for sure from the start. I wanted to write about two former best friends, one of whom had died under mysterious circumstances. I knew that the surviving girl, Ellie, was going to have claustrophobia. I wanted to write about the burl poaching in the Redwood forests and places like Big Sur, and I wanted to set the story in a boarding school in Big Sur. Um, Big Sur is my very favorite place I've ever been to, and I've always wanted to write a book that takes place there. Um, Ella's experiences hiking and exploring are lightly based on my own experiences hiking and exploring there. It's just such a magical setting, and I thought it was the perfect place to set this story because it's such a beautiful and otherworldly setting, but there is this sort of strange, mysterious element to it because it is so wild. Um, And the other sort of element that has to do with Big Sur is the burl poaching. I always was fascinated by redwood trees, and a few years ago I saw a story in the evening news about burl poaching, which is the intricately patterned um, wooden kind of knobs on redwood trees are called burls, and they can weigh hundreds of pounds, and they can also bring in thousands of dollars on the black market. People poach them um, and sell them to furniture dealers. Um, And when you see pictures of trees without their burls, like it's worth Googling it because it's just devastating to look at. They look butchered. And so I thought of um, the first line that one of the characters, Sam, says in the story, which is someone is stealing the redwoods. And I kind of had filed that away in my head, just waiting for the right story to use it in, because I knew this was something that I wanted to write about. And the reason I wanted to write about former best friends is, like Ellie, I actually moved from California to New York when my parents got divorced when I was young. And like Ellie, I had to leave behind my childhood best friend, whose name was almost identical to mine. I'm Alyssa. She was Elisa, just like they're Ellie and Eliza. And I always wondered how my life might have been different if I'd stayed in California and whether Elisa and I would have stayed friends for years, which I think is, you know, a theme that Ellie wonders about throughout the book. And I I knew that I wanted Ellie to have claustrophobia. I felt like I started researching it, and it just was so compelling to me, and I felt like just added an element to the story. And it was something that I felt I wasn't able to find that many novels where a character had claustrophobia. I mean, there are certainly a few out there but I couldn't find that many. And I think it's something that just touches a lot of people's lives. So I wanted to write about it. And so with this, with having written uh, a couple of books before this, and, and you're kind of maybe familiar with the, uh, the process and with your process, did that make this book any easier to write just because you have that experience at this point? I mean, I think, that with every book I write, I learn something that I take to the next book that I write. Um, So certainly I'm learning something all the time. I don't know if I would say it gets easier necessarily because I try to push myself with every book to do something that I didn't do before, like in this case, having the alternating narrators. That was something that really was important to me because I enjoy reading books with alternating narrators as a reader. And as a writer, I really like the challenge. I wanted it to be clear that if if you just open to a random page in the book, you would be able to tell whether it was an Ellie chapter or an Eliza chapter without kind of checking the header of the chapter. So I wanted their voices to be really distinct. So I I don't think that writing books, at least not for me, it certainly doesn't get easier from one book to the next, but I do think I learn lessons from one book to the next that then I can apply 
in the next book and hopefully hopefully not make the mistakes I made in my last book and make a whole new set of mistakes that I'll hopefully not make in the book that comes after that. With your writing process, are you more or less focused on one book at a time or are you writing one and maybe planning, you know, jotting down, you know, rough ideas for maybe the next book that'll come along after? How do you kind of station them out? I always have more than one idea going at a time. I mean, I would say when I'm when I'm not on deadline, I usually um, try to work on a couple of new ideas at a time. But when I'm writing a first draft or something, I really try to only write one at a time. And obviously when I'm on deadline, I'm working on just the book that I'm on deadline for, for the most part. But I do play around with a lot of with different ideas at the same time. When I started, when I had the idea for R.I.P. Eliza Hart, I actually simultaneously had an idea for another book. And so I began writing like the very first chapters of each of them at the same time. And then kind of, you know, assuming that only one of the two ideas would take shape, because I would say of the amount of ideas that I have, like a very small percentage actually ever turn into books. So I, you know, kind of start making notes on an idea, knowing that there's a good chance it won't ever become a book. I play, I like to play around with different ideas at the same time, but once I'm in a book, I try to stay in it. So once I'm writing a full first draft or something, I want to only be writing that draft and having those characters' voices in my head and that world in my head. I mean, scheduling doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes you're on deadline for two things at the same time and you have to find a way to alternate, but to the extent that I'm able to control it, that's what I try to do. And so when it comes to then your reading life, do you have to be careful uh, what you read when you're writing a certain something so it doesn't influence it? Are you looking for maybe how other authors with similar topics address something? Uh, or do you try to maybe not read as much when you're really in the midst of, you know, a deadline mm -hmm. or something like that? How do you, how does that all work for your reading life? Um, I mean, I'm always reading. I'm never not reading. I don't set books aside while I'm re while I'm writing. Um, I actually find it very helpful to read while I'm writing. First, in terms of the subject matter, I'm a very research-happy writer, so I would say when I'm working on a new idea, when I'm reading something that's in the same that's the same subject matter, it's usually the research that I'm doing. So I do a lot of re I did a lot of research for this book, for example, about claustrophobia, about mental illness. And so I was certainly reading like memoirs and things about those topics while I was working on the book. Um, but what I do try to do generally when I'm not researching, I don't necessarily pick up books when I'm reading, you know, for novels and for fun. I don't necessarily try to pick things up that are similar subject matter or even necessarily the same genre as what I'm writing. But I try to read authors who inspire me and kind of get me excited to write. So there are a few authors that I always know. Um, I can turn to if I'm feeling a little bit blocked and I'll pick them up if I'm working on a first draft and I feel I'm not feeling great about it. Alice Hoffman is somebody who I wouldn't say that we write in the same genre. Her books are mostly magical realism and they're adult novels, which I haven't written, but they always inspire me. Mary Gordon is another writer who's always inspires me, Joan Didion. So there are a few writers that I definitely turn to while I'm writing. Um, and again, it's not necessarily because they're they're writing about the things that I'm writing. It's just that their writing is so beautiful or so magical or has something in it that inspires me. In the case of Mary Gordon, for example, she was actually um, my professor, one of my professors in college, 
So when I read her books, because I know her voice so well, it feels like she's still teaching me. So I always feel like I bring that. She motivates me to write better because also I loved her. I worshipped her when I was in college. I loved her so much that I wanted to write well for her. So I think when I read her books, I still feel that way. In the case of Alice Hoffman, I love how she pulls off putting magic um, the, the way she writes magical realism and puts it into a world that I recognize and yet puts in these little touches of magic. So even though that's not something I do necessarily in my writing, I still find it incredibly inspirational. So I just, I do find it really helpful to read while I'm writing. I actually, before I start writing most days, I'll read for a half hour or so if I have time. Um, Cause I find it just kind of gets me excited, more motivated to start writing. So having written a number of books, uh, what do you think, if you, what advice would you give uh, the Alyssa that was just fresh out of college, uh, you know, getting into the publishing industry, but still wanting to uh, write and publish her own books? What advice would you have for the younger version of um, yourself? I think it's the same advice that I have for every sort of aspiring writer, which is to just read as much as you possibly can and read everything, read articles, read essays, read textbooks, read things that have nothing to do with what you want to write, read people who you feel like have done exactly what you want to do and see to see how it's done and how they do it much better than you could ever dream of doing. I remember once I was on an essay writing kick my senior year of college and one of my favorite professors recommended that I start reading Joan Didion's essays and I read them and I was like, well, I'm never going to be able to write like this. Joan Didion is to me one of the greatest writers of all time. And it wasn't to try to write the way she writes. It was just because she's so inspirational. So I, and I think also the other thing about reading for me is you never know where an idea is going to come from. Um, Faceless, which was my last book, that was partly inspired by an article in the New Yorker about face transplants, which, you know, there's a, my favorite textbook in college was a psychology textbook, and the author of the textbook would just randomly insert little bits of humor into very dry topics, and I always thought that taught me a lot about writing. So I think everything you read teaches you about writing. So that is the advice I would give to my younger self. And I would also, knowing what I know now, tell my younger self to, like, it's going to be okay, you're going to be able to do this for a living. But I think if I hadn't known that it wasn't going to be okay and I wasn't necessarily going to do it for a living, I might not have you know, um, had the same ambition to work as hard as I did at the time. So maybe I wouldn't tell my younger self that. Sure. And then as someone that was such a big reader uh, when they were young, what do you think, I mean, if you were able to hand your teenage self, you know, the books that you've written and let her read them, uh, would would she have approved? I hope so, because I think she's who I write for in a strange way. Does that sound really self-involved, no, but no, I think no. in a strange way, like that's my reader because I'm writing for teenagers and obviously the teenager that I know best is the teenager that I was. I often think, well, I would have liked this book when I was a teenager. I, I think in a way she's the person that I write for. So I hope she'd like them or else who am I writing for? Sure. So a few questions now as we wrap up. The first one being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Does the Princess Bride count as being based on a book? It. I've had past. Princess Bride. I. That is an answer I was accepting. I don't think you're the first one that has even answered that. So, yes. And that's maybe tied with Lord of the Rings. I would say it's a tie. Very good. And now, next question. There's probably many of these, but can you think of a book that you're almost embarrassed to admit? that you've never gotten around to reading? Yes, 
I can, and I'm like ashamed. The catcher in their eye never read it. Really? Yeah, and I really don't want to. And that, and that's fine. And I was supposed a lot to of... read it for ninth grade. We had like a summer reading list, and we had to read Catcher in the Rye the summer before ninth grade. And I read the first, I don't know, 25, 50 pages, and I didn't like it. And I didn't finish it, and I wrote a paper about the first 25 or 50 pages <laughs> and handed it that's in. That's funny. That's funny. And finally, what is the last great book that you've read? I am going to cheat a little bit with this answer because every August or at the end of every July, I reread all seven Harry Potter books um, starting on my birthday is the day before Harry's birthday. So I always start on one of our birthdays and then I read all seven the first couple of weeks of August. So um, that's probably the last great books that I read were those seven. I think they're just perfect. I mean, everybody thinks they're just perfect, but I love them so much. And of those seven, do you think there's one that always sort of is a little bit closer to your heart than the other ones? You know, it's interesting because it changes because I read them so often and over and over again. And when they very first came, when I first read them, um, you know, as I was, they were coming out, the third book, Prisoner of Azkaban, was the one that just absolutely blew my mind because it was so clear in that book how much she had planned from the very start because there were pieces about Sirius Black in that book that harkened back to the first book, like his motorcycle and things. And I just, I just had such tremendous respect for how she had pl- must have plotted those books and planned everything out ahead of time. And it just absolutely blew my mind. But now, like most recently when I go back and reread them, the first book actually, especially the very first chapter of the first book, is just to me some of the most perfect writing I've ever read in my life. Like I... I will reread those first few paragraphs about the Dursleys over and over again. I just, I love the begin, the way that book opens. I just think there's something, God, I was about to say something so magical, which couldn't be the more <laughs> um, on the nose word. But um, I just, I go back and reread those first couple chapters of the first book over and over again. Um, so right now, right now, I would say that's what's closest to my heart, but ask sure. me, next September after I've spent August rereading them, and I'm sure I'll have a different answer. Right. And right. it's the thing I look most forward to all year is that reread. I, I like count down the days to it. It's just the That's best. Great. I recommend it to everyone. That's great. Well, Alyssa, thanks so much for joining me. The book, RIP, Eliza Hart, comes out November 28th, and we're excited for this one and the other books that you'll have for us in the future. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. And that does it for another episode of What Book Hooked You. Special thanks to Alyssa Scheimel for joining me. Her book, R.I.P. Eliza Hart, comes out on November 28th. So check that out. And if you've enjoyed this episode, take a minute to scroll through the archives and listen to some of the other conversations I've had with writers. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.